The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, guys? My Take Radio, episode 307, powered by Rageworks, broadcasting live Thursday, August 13th, 2015. I'm your host, Rich, and our call-in number is 347-324-3541. Again, that call-in number, 347-324-3541. If this is your first time tuning in to My Take Radio, My Take Radio is a variety show covering mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, gaming, and entertainment. We air twice a week, Wednesdays, dedicated to MMA and wrestling, Thursdays, gaming and entertainment. As always, you can participate via the live chat, watch the live stream, or listen to high-quality audio by heading over to mtrlive.com. And when possible, we do simulcast on gfqlive.tv. So those are the two options to listen to the show and catch the live video feed. Otherwise, archives of the show are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. And video archives are available Excuse me, on our two YouTube channels, uh, My Take Radio TV and Official Rageworks. You can look up either of those on YouTube to find past episodes. On our Rageworks YouTube channel, you'll find unboxings, game trailers, uh, event coverage, tons of stuff that we're posting there. Uh, the My Take Radio channel used to have that content as well, but we are dedicating that channel strictly to episodes of the show. Everything else will reside in the Rageworks channel. Um, a couple of things. Last night's MMA and wrestling episode, since I made the update to Windows 10, it seems that the program that we use to stream and capture video took it upon itself to only capture audio and no video for yesterday's MMA and wrestling episode. Nonetheless, we do have great audio from that episode that will be uploaded later on today, as well as a stationary image video feed that will go on YouTube for those of you that get the show via YouTube as well. So there is that. I know some of you guys brought it to my attention while the show was in progress that the feed was a little funky, and sure enough, it was definitely validated after I started editing the show. While it's not terrible, definitely something that annoyed me quite a bit. Uh, of course, this is a byproduct of uploading, of upgrading, excuse me, all our machines to Windows 10. We upgraded our laptops and our 
production machines to Windows 10, and I should have done my homework a little bit and waited a little longer until other applications were compatible with Windows 10, but unfortunately, uh, you live and learn. What can you do? Anyway, nonetheless, my initial um, opinions on Windows 10 thus far have been passable at best. A um, couple of things I like, a couple of things I don't like. Uh, first off, obviously, um, driver issues, things of that nature. I see that our wide shot has a complete layout of everything that I don't want you guys to see on camera. <laughs> so um, definitely not cool. Uh, I see my wife's hair dryer back there and her mirror and all my toys. Uh, yeah, we'll be working. <laughs> we'll be working on that stuff uh, over the next couple of days. But you guys know the deal. You guys are here for my craziness and all the latest rants and news related to gaming, entertainment, MMA and wrestling. So with that, couple of housekeeping items I do want to get out of the way. Um, for those of you that did not catch last night's show, um, we are still trying to merge the My Take Radio Facebook fan page with our Rageworks fan page, only because just trying to streamline and avoid all the redundancies that are running wild all over the place. Still working on that. Hopefully we'll have that finalized sooner rather than later. Trying to reach someone at Facebook is like pulling teeth. And um, I, haven't been, I haven't been faring well thus far. If you've had success merging uh, Facebook fan pages, and especially if they have different names, etc., feel free to drop me a line. I'm curious to know what you guys have to say with regards to that. Maybe I'm missing something. Always good to ask those that have been in the trenches and that have succeeded in getting it done. Because for me, thus far, it's been a pain in the ass. The other thing I did want to ask you guys and this is something that, you know, it's, it, it, it's silly to ask, but I want to know um, your thoughts on how we're, we're running the show currently with audio and video. Do you prefer the video feed? Do you prefer the audio-only feed? How are you consuming the show? Definitely would like to know. Feel free to reach out via social media or feel free to email me just because I'm trying to gauge where we should really focus all our energies. I mean, the audio portion of the show is pretty self-explanatory working with Mixler and simulcasting through blog talk radio has been a pleasure. It works very well. It gets the job done, but sometimes, you know, you want to know if the video's even worth doing the audio's even worth doing or how you guys are consuming everything. I always got to kind of dip my toes in the pool and see what you guys have to say about it. Like I said, feel free to reach out via any of our social media channels or email me direct uh, MTR host at mytakeradio.com or rich at rageworks.net, whichever one works. Either both of them get to me, and I'd love to hear what you guys have to say about that. Also, the broadcast schedule for the remainder of the month. Um, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> nice, slick, nice. Thank you very much. <laughs> very nice. Anyway, um, Slick always got has to throw something in there to um, detract and def he has to distract and deflect some of my uh, idiosyncrasies. And I definitely applaud him for that. And I'm actually grateful that he did that um, in any event. As I said, just definitely want to know what you guys prefer, how you guys consume the show, just so we can make some tweaks and definitely make the tweaks that are necessary to make things work well. 
As you guys already know, we got a great stable of shows thus far. We're continuing to add new shows as things continue to improve. We got a brand new episode of Black is the New Black with Ben and Taylor just bringing their madness and mayhem to the masses, uh, sharing their thoughts on sports, hip-hop, and as they like to call it, nerd shit. Uh, Their latest episode, episode 21, was uploaded earlier today. It is hilarious, a lot of great commentary, and just some really, really um, insightful viewpoints on certain aspects of geek culture, sports, and hip-hop. So definitely I recommend you guys give give them a listen. Feel free to reach out to them directly. I'm sure they would love to hear from you. Also, of course, our very own Jay Santee and the Keefe with the regular season sports show have been doing really, really great work thus far. The download numbers for their show are impressive. Thank you guys for your support and for supporting those guys in their endeavor. In addition to that, they have a new show on deck, which should be available for consumption by Saturday night, maybe Sunday morning, the latest. I know that they will be broad, they will be recording tomorrow, so we should have something up uh by Saturday night, like I said, early Sunday, the latest. In any case, again, thank you guys for your continued support with both of those shows. I know that Quark and Blade are probably going to do another episode of The Buried Show after SummerSlam. Those guys are getting ready to go back to college. And for those of you that are still students, I'm sure I'm sure you guys are all preparing much like they are. In any case, definitely wanted to give you guys an update for that. Also... Uh, you saw that the writer Julian posted his review of Fantastic Four. I owe you guys a review of the Plantronics Backbeat headphones. I actually have that already done, and video should be live tomorrow as well as a review. We're also reviewing a Games Vanguard unit. We're doing that in partnership with our friends at Royal Flush Magazine, and that should be available both for reading and, of course, an unboxing by this weekend as well so definitely lots on deck lots to cover and of course we're gonna get into it with this week's gaming news so let's get that ball rolling shall we all right so the first thing i want to talk about is the latest announcement i got from 2k regarding wwe 2k 16 now many of you guys that have been following the development of this game know that there have been news items all over the place, both at Gamescom, at various Raw events, and of course, gradually from 2K. Now, the latest latest news that we got from them outlined a lot of the features that you guys can expect, plus gave us some things to look forward to, including what they consider to be the largest roster ever, offering you more than 120 unique playable characters. Of course, you're going to have your usual staple of guys, Stone Cold Steve Austin, of course, Seth Rollins, Daniel Bryan, Dean Ambrose, Bad News Barrett, Paige, Finn Balor, Roman Reigns, Randy Orton, you know, the usual suspects. In addition, if you pre-order the game, you get both the T-800 from Terminator 1 and the T-800 from T-2, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger available as a pre-order, which, I mean, what do you expect? Is it worth pre-ordering a game to play as the Terminator? Who knows? I mean, some people were excited about it. When I got the video from 2K, I said to myself, you know what? It's it's kind of cool. It's all right. Nothing to really write home about. But, again, definitely not the worst thing in the world. In any case, I did, you know, I, I felt that the incentive to pre-order this year wasn't as strong 
as the pre-order incentives from WWE 2K15. Obviously, Stone Cold being the cover athlete is cool, and some of the improvements, which I'm going to get into, are nice. But overall, like I said when we when I did my review of the game, and Jay also said the same thing, there were a lot of things that we were willing to let slide because of the you know the 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 new the the debut of the game on new consoles obviously with the Xbox 1 and PlayStation 4 but now that they've got one game under their belt there's certain things and I'm going to be honest that we really just can't let slide this time around and I'm hoping that they definitely have improved those things you know the gameplay mechanics um certain countering that was just not working correctly a lot of little subtle nuances again Nothing terrible, but things that definitely, after repeated outings, you saw were just annoying. I mean, the the campaign itself was really not that great. You had to play through it, obviously, to unlock certain characters, but it really wasn't the deep, deep storylines that we've seen in previous installments. On the contrary, it was pretty bare bones, pretty to the point, but it succeeded in getting people to play through at, at least once to unlock certain characters. In any case... Obviously, you're going to get a brand new 2K showcase, brand new career mode, a brand new creation suite, which is going to include create a diva, uh, create a championship, create an arena, create a show. Also, obviously, tons of improvements to create a superstar, create an entrance, superstar studio and community creations. Now, one thing I have to commend the community creators for WWE 2K15 was the amount of detail that was put into so many of their created characters. I mean, within a week of me having the game for review, I was able to download a a pretty much 100% accurate Finn Balor. I downloaded also a community-created Chris Benoit that was tremendous. But again, there were certain things that were missing. Obviously, that stuff has since been rectified. That being, obviously, create a diva, create a title, create an arena. You know, these are things that even though they're, they're not... People aren't super, super pumped about them. They are still things that are enjoyable for the overall experience. If you want to create the ECW World Heavyweight title, or if you want to create the, the, the Rageworks Heavyweight title, you know, whatever the case may be, you want to have that option, especially because you saw it in previous installments of the game. In this case, obviously, 2K definitely listened to the fans and is including that. Also, uh, they did plenty of improvements to universe mode. Their online has been improved based on fan feedback, including a number of ways to play online, including, and I got to have my notes here so I can go through it, um, an improved matchmaking system, which is something that a lot of people requested and really shared their opinions on. Uh, the other thing that really got me pumped was the soundtrack. Now, you're probably asking yourself, Rich, why do I give a fuck about the soundtrack for a wrestling game? And the reason is... Because players can now customize their in-game music through the addition of superstar entrance music in the WWE 2K16 jukebox. Meaning that if a superstar changes their music, you'll be able to change that music in-game. This is one of the things that I said needed to become a staple in the series. If Seth Rollins changes his ring gear, you should be able within a month or so of the of that ring gear being on television be able to download the ring gear. If a superstar changes their entrance music, you should be able to get that entrance music courtesy of either paid DLC or just 
lifetime updates for the title. Easy, or better yet, you should be able to import that music into your game via storage, either a flash drive or using your iPod or your iPhone or your Android device. You should be able to do that. And I think that for me personally, I think that's huge because if there's one thing, if you're someone who likes to create their own characters or even create wrestlers that aren't in the game, you want to go that extra mile and be able to add um, independent, you know, their own music just for you to get that full experience when you put that wrestler in the game. I mean, somebody may want to download, may want to create, I don't know, ACH from Ring of Honor or Jeff Hardy, the TNA version, and may want to give him TNA's in, the TNA intro music. Maybe you want to use Jeff Jarrett, but you want to use the TNA version of Jeff Jarrett. Not that anybody will, but you never know. There might be somebody that's into that. Or maybe you want to create a classic wrestler like, you know, Rick and Scott Steiner. Or maybe you want to create Ravishing Rick Rude or any or any of those wrestlers from, from our past, from the old days. You know, you, you might want to do that. And you may not be able to do, you know, have the right theme music, so you want to add that in there. I mean, these are things that, again, not something that's going to be a huge addition to the game, but it's something that really will stimulate the creative community and really extend the shelf life of the game. I mean, that's one of those things that people don't really think about, but it's it's a cool option. Like I said, if Dean Ambrose has ring gear that consists of a ja- you know, a jean jacket and a tank top and black pants, then you want to have a jean jacket, a tank top, and black pants. Um, if Roman Reigns decides that he no longer wants to look like an extra from a from from SWAT, then maybe we might want to go that route. And that's what I'm saying. Maybe you want to have all the different versions of Stone Cold, all his different attires, including the the cowboy hat when he was with Kurt Angle as part of you know aligned when when he was aligned with Vince McMahon. Again, just things that I'm throwing out there, but things that really will add a little bit more to the game. Now, of course, you're going to get gameplay improvements as well, improved controls, a brand new reversal system. They've made changes to the pin system as well. A lot of people were really annoyed about the pin system in the previous game. I I, I could have, you know, take it or leave it, in my opinion. I mean, the pin system was all right, but I, I felt that they overcomplicated something so simple as a pin. I feel that, you know, you're pinning the wrestler and you want to ensure that the pin is complete, maybe you jam on the button a little bit and fill a meter to ensure that the pin is complete versus trying to do like a kick meter in Madden, which is stupid. You know, we all jam on the buttons. Uh, you know, same thing for, for kicking out. Uh, the, the meter gets a little longer if you got to kick out. You got to press the button a couple of times. Boom, you kicked out. I think sometimes for the sake of realism, they overcomplicate things a bit. There's no necessity for you to have this big, crazy meter to do things for for WWE 2K16. I think if they went a little simpler, you'd want to go with, like I said, just, just a simple maybe, you know, tap on triangle and fill up a meter, a gauge for you to kick out or for you to pin. I think it's a lot easier instead of trying to, you know, find the meter and make sure that it sticks. It, it definitely was frustrating, especially in the early goings, obviously with repetition, you were able to figure out the timing for the meter and it wasn't terrible, but it could have been better. That's all I'm saying. So I'm definitely glad that they're doing something with the pin. Uh, They're also including dirty pins and rope breaks. So obviously dirty pin, self-explanatory. 
Uh, you pin your opponent by the ropes. Maybe you hit square or triangle, put your feet on the ropes to try and get a dirty pin. Maybe you yank on the tights. Whatever the case may be, I think that's definitely cool and a welcome addition. Um, it definitely adds, a, again, more realism to the game, which is what you're going for. You can also uh, use the referee and have him be involved in breaking up the pins. Of course, you got rope breaks as well. Uh, maybe you're in a submission and you're trying to fight your way out of the submission and you use the rope break to get out. That works. Uh, same thing if you're being pinned and you put your leg on the ropes and the referee breaks up the pinfall. There's there's a lot of realism there that I think will really change the strategy of the game. So I'm definitely pumped to see that. In addition, they added um, more improvements to the chain wrestling, uh, new positions, new attributes, which are going to allow the chain wrestling to change from superstar to superstar. Meaning, if you are using, for argument's sake, a player-created Kurt Angle, you know that his chain wrestling is going to be better than, say, Kalisto. Kalisto's not a chain wrestler. Um, Kurt Angle is... Or if you wanted to go with Jack Swagger, Jack Swagger's chain wrestling, you know, is going to be better than, say, uh, Adrian Neville, just as an example. And that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about. You know, those improvements, they're subtle. They're not, oh, my God, mind-blowing, but they definitely get the job done. Uh, they also added ways to utilize working holds, um, of course, uh, which if you use Randy Orton, uh, transitional chin locks and headlocks are the name of the game. Um, <laughs> sue me. You, you guys know I'm right. Randy Orton, master of the chin lock, master of the headlock. I When I read that, I said that is the Randy Orton offense. Of course, improvements to the AI. They added more match types, including ladder match, handicap, and tornado tag matches, which a lot of people were very vocal about. They added new dynamic entrances, an improved submission system, they also added the three-man commentary team with JBL, Michael Cole, and Jerry Lawler. Of course, thousands of lines were recorded, blah, 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 to ensure genuine interactions. Plus, they added, of course, visual upgrades and an improvement to the broadcast presentation, meaning that from now on, instead of you looking at a loading screen between matches and entrances, the camera is actually going to pan around the arena, pan to the announce team, etc., etc., giving you a more realistic television-like feel. Again, which is fine. As I've said before, it would be good to to have downloadable vocal tracks for uh, the, the announce team. Maybe uh, just interactions, little things here and there, maybe names or uh, things like that. Like maybe you want to create a wrestler called The Crusher and The Crusher is, is not a name that's said, that can be said by the announce team, but Maybe they'll release, it would be cool if they would release, you know, 10 or 15 different, you know, the Crusher, the Maniac, the Assassin, and just have something like that, that the announce team could say, hey, the Assassin is getting his offense in. Yeah, it's going to sound a little robotic, a little stupid, but I think that if they did little things like that, the same thing with, with promos or, or vocal tracks. Like, for, for instance, when Bray Wyatt was able to win a match in WWE 2K15, and say follow the buzzards, it was cool that when he did it, it wasn't just his mouth moving, but he genuinely said, follow the buzzards. Things like that, definitely cool. Slick, someone will create a wrestler called, why? I'm, I'm, I'm being 100% serious. It would, why wouldn't it work? I'm not saying you're going to have 
a thousand names, but just easy ones. The Maniac, the Assassin, uh, the Angel of Death, the Darkness, whatever. Just, again, I'm not saying that these guys got to go in the booth and record 500 fucking names, but just real generic names that you can at least throw out there. So it doesn't say, coming to the ring, superstar. Like, yeah, that's fine. But simple names, nothing crazy. And, of course, there should be Easter eggs in there for created wrestlers that they want you to create. Like, if you wanted to create, I don't know, Classy Freddie Blassie, you should be able to, you know, do something like that. Or if you wanted to create Superstar Billy Graham, then you can find Superstar or Graham. Like, like again, just little things like that. I'm not saying go fucking overboard and have, you know, thousands upon thousands of names, but just a couple of, of decent ones, you know, the fabulous one or the free bird. Like, again, you can even use names and, and nicknames of wrestlers that are already in existence, but are just there that the announcers can say, and it doesn't sound so fucking robotic. Oh, the superstar is administering a beatdown of epic proportions. Like, it just sounds fucking lame. At least if you had a couple of things to choose from that would seem natural, it wouldn't be terrible. I mean, they did that a little bit in WWE 2K15, and it was okay. But again, why not? I mean, with the with the advances in, in storage and DLC or whatever, why not? That's all I'm saying. But the improvements I've seen thus far, what, what's been sent to me by 2K that I've shared with you guys, you know, the in-game photos... Kalisto's entrance, which you can check out on our YouTube channel, was tremendous. Uh, Finn Balor's entrance, Seth Rollins' entrance, those videos you can see on our YouTube channel as well, were incredibly well done. Uh, Finn Balor's entrance in particular was just tremendous. Every little subtle nuance that he has in his entrance, from the way that the lights pulse when, when he's about to come out, to the way the beat drops to when he stands up and puts his hands up, the lights change. They added all that. And again, it's little things. Not too many people are going to give a shit about that. But me being a wrestling fan and appreciating something like that, again, the subtle nuances, for me, they, they speak volumes. Now, again, you can make the game as beautiful as possible. And if it plays like shit, it plays like shit. We've had that too, where you know games hide behind the proverbial smoke and mirrors and the control schemes are complete garbage. We all know that. We've all experienced it firsthand with numerous games. I just don't want WWE to uh, and 2K to fall into that. Like I've said before, I'd rather they release the game every other year and just release, you know, DLC and shit like that, where where you get, you know, new wardrobe, new commentary, uh, new vocal tracks, new entrance music. I'd rather, like I said. Have the game every other year and and not and at least be able to enjoy it 110%. Like right now, anybody who's just starting to get a little bit deeper in 2K15 is going to probably toss it to the side because they know that the new game is right around the corner. Hell, my game may or may not already be in someone else's possession because of that. The same thing can be said for sports games. I've said this before. If you're not making huge, drastic, revolutionary improvements, then you should. I see no harm in releasing a game every other year. Obviously, uh, hardcore Madden gamers and Major League Baseball gamers are going to disagree, and soccer gamers. But for those of us that you know, we play the games, and at the end of the day, the 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 game doesn't really change that much. 
what's wrong with and i've said this before what's wrong with a madden game coming out every other year and just releasing downloadable roster updates downloadable playbooks it's it's not the worst thing in the world i mean is it really that bad i mean if ea and i'm using ea as the example if ea didn't have to create a new madden game every year and was able to shift their focus to some of their other titles because the pressure of cranking out a new Madden isn't there, wouldn't that benefit everyone? I mean, yes, creating another Madden is a guaranteed cash grab. We all know this, but think about it. EA still has a stable of other games. I mean, whatever happened to, let's let's throw this out there, the NBA Street Series. A great series, extremely enjoyable, made basketball pick up and play for anyone, and again, why why not leverage that? Why not jump into into that avenue and give people something else? You know, something alternative, NFL Street, FIFA Street. Again, just throwing that out there as an example, but still, you know, it's 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 something that works. Val says Rucker lost popularity, that's what happened. All right, but but still, casual casual gaming for for the non-hardcore sports fan. That's all I'm saying. Why is it that you have to crank out a Madden game every year that doesn't always take the series forward? When we went and met with EA a couple of weeks back, I played Madden. I actually sat through and played a full Madden game, and it was good. I enjoyed it, and I think that part of my enjoyment stemmed from the fact that from the fact that I haven't played the game in years. Like I haven't really sat down and played the game in years. I enjoyed it. You know, I liked the mechanics. I felt the, the, the players look realistic. The graphics were amazing. The textures were out of this world. Um, there, there were a, a, a shitload of really, really solid cues that got my attention. Like I said, graphically, and, and most importantly, I was having fun out there. I was playing the game for fun, and I genuinely felt that way as, you know, the quarters dragged on and I played through you know four quarters of Madden and I said to myself you know if I were so inclined I'm, I'd, I'd pick it up I'd pick it up for a little bit that's not to say that I wouldn't pick up Madden 17 and 18 but 16 new game brand new platform I mean obviously the other one was pretty much a a swap over even though people don't want to admit that but this was a game built from the ground up for quote-unquote next-gen and you can see it in the presentation. That's again, that's not me changing my stance on roster update 16, but as someone who hadn't played the game in quite a few years, it it got my attention because I genuinely had fun playing the shit. And at the end of the day, that's what it boils down to. Are you having fun? And I'm not talking about are you having fun playing online? I'm talking about are you having fun just playing the game like are you genuinely excited to turn on your console and play it? Like, I'll be honest, I was excited to turn on a console and play Batman Arkham Knight. Excited. As soon as I pressed the power button and, and the title came up and, you know, the first cinema, the, you know, the first big cinematic scene popped up, I said to myself, this is what it's all about. This is what it's all about to sit there and feel joy and wonder and just immersed in a game that that's as good as as you hoped it would be and i'm sure that those of us those of you that are out there playing madden playing some of these other titles maybe you feel that way every year 
maybe every year that you walk into your local GameStop, Best Buy, Target, or or get your, your package from the UPS driver from Amazon, and you open it up and you're holding that fresh copy of Madden, maybe you feel the same way. And maybe that's something that I personally just, I have a disconnect with. But again, that my experience with the game was exactly that. I played it. I had fun playing it. Since I hadn't played it in so long, it looked, it felt new to me. Now, I talked to a couple of people that have played Madden religiously every year that were at the event with me, and they said, you know, it feels better. It feels more natural. But I asked them, if this game, would you, would you make this a day one purchase if you didn't already have a previous installment of the game? And some of them said to me, they're like, you know, I usually get Madden every other year or, you know, sometimes I just play it during football season and then the game just collects dust after the season is over. And I, I heard that from a lot of people. And that's something I'm curious about for those of you in the chat that play sports games in any capacity. When the season of that sport is over, are you still playing the game as aggressively as you did when the game first came out? I'm curious. I am going to ask that in our um, Facebook group as well because I'm, I'm just I'm curious. I'm curious if the nostalgia wears off as soon as that season is over. Maybe because there aren't as many people playing online. Maybe because there's not as much as much excitement out there. I am curious because I'll tell you what, with the WWE 2K series, when I got 2K15 and we, we received it as a review copy, I played the game, I played the game, I played the game, obviously for the sake of the review. And then uh, a couple of weeks after I spent um, downloading community creations, playing through the, the season mode, et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't, it wasn't drawing me back to play. It wasn't like, oh, I got to play, I got to play this shit. It, it, it just, it just wasn't doing that. Now it could be because I was playing through the game at, at an accelerated pace for, for work, for a review, or maybe it just there, it, it felt the same as other games, which could be the case as well. But I just, I just wasn't drawn to it. I'm hoping 2k 16 succeeds in, in keeping me engaged for a longer period of time than the previous game. That's all I'm saying. All right, so let's move on because I can beat that to death for, for another 10 minutes if I wanted to. Uh, for those of you that are fans of Resident Evil um, and are looking forward to getting your hands on a new installment, I'm sure that it's going to happen sooner rather than later, but Capcom is dipping into the crates and will be remaking Resident Evil 2. Um, Capcom confirmed the plans in a video by producer Yoshiaki Hirabi. Wow, I'm going to mess up this guy's name. Yoshiaki Hirabayashi, who said fan feedback helped them get the project greenlit. Um, for those of you that are fans of the Resident Evil series, know that they've you know they've been trying to recapture the glory of previous games. And while I feel Resident Evil has been decent, I do feel that Resident Evil lost its magic after they started really just just veering into a crazy direction. Resident Evil, Resident Evil 2, Code Veronica, you know, you look at all those games and you see that that was a time when, when, the, when it felt new, when it felt fresh, when it felt different. And as the, as the series progressed, it felt like a lot of the same. 
and not not that that's necessarily terrible, but it just I felt that the series wasn't evolving. It really wasn't. Like Resident Evil One, I remember playing that on the PlayStation One when uh, a kid down the block from me had a PlayStation first, and I went by his house. And he's playing through it, and we had the scene where the dogs jumped in the in the house, and I was just like, "Oh shit, that was that was insane!" And it really it tripped me out. And again, sure, Resident Evil, you could remake one, you could remake two, but to go with what Slick said, the games that fans want are titles like Power Stone, Darkstalkers. No one is clamoring for Resident Evil two, um, you know, nobody's clamoring for it, and. To, to a degree, I can I can probably say that that's true, but I also know that Resident Evil has a really really deep fan base, especially in Japan. So, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure part of this stemmed from more so the Japanese side than the American side. Because to to add to what Slick said, I wouldn't mind seeing Power Stone or a brand new Darkstalkers or Star Gladiator. Star Gladiator is a very very underrated but extremely enjoyable. Capcom fighter um I'd, I'd like to see another rival schools I'd love to see a brand new rival schools using a uh, a Street Fighter 4 Street Fighter 5 engine I, th- I think it would be cool and of course and I've talked about this at length there's there's a ton of old games that I'd love to see be you know get the uh, a fresh coat of paint get brought into into this era I mean one game in particular that I doubt we'll ever see would be Streets of Rage. Streets of Rage was tremendous. An extremely enjoyable game. I mean, Streets of Rage 1 was, as many people know, one of those, uh, those beat-em-ups that once you started playing, you had to finish. Streets of Rage 2 took it to another level in terms of graphic, a badass soundtrack, uh, the assortment of different characters you could play as. You know, stuff like that is, is awesome. Slick mentioned he'd like to see 1942 on Oculus Rift. I think that would be insane. You know, you know what would be cool seeing Einhander, Einhander in the Oculus Rift. I would I I think that would be crazy playing Einhander in the in in the Oculus Rift, just all the crazy colors. Oh, it would be insane. And and that's what I'm saying. Again, the problem is and I've I've spoken about this in previous shows, you take our new systems and it's becoming so much easier to just say yeah we're just gonna remake this game and people are gonna be like oh that's gonna be awesome and then people go they buy it and what happens is that they kind of fall into that trap of yeah we're just gonna keep cranking out remakes you know wow that's a good one slick says remake dino crisis instead of resident evil i wouldn't mind that dino crisis has was a guilty pleasure of mine i um i did enjoy it and i just i think that would be cool I, 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 I'd love to see Dino Crisis. I think Dino Crisis would probably give Capcom a shot in the arm, especially if they did, you know, they did a really good job with the remake and the controls worked. People, people would definitely jump at that immediately. I, I'd love to see it. That's a good one, Slick. Thanks for, for mentioning that. Anyway, so we're getting a Resident Evil 2 remake. No release date yet. No other details available at this time, except that the shit's going to happen. So there you have it. All right, so, of course, it's July. July's MPD numbers are finally out. It feels like I haven't been getting MPD numbers to share with you guys and discuss with you guys 
in quite some time, but that's also partially because our broadcast schedule schedule has not been as um, as conducive to that as it normally is. But in any case, the new MPD numbers are out, and um, even though Batman was the leader in June, it is not the leader in July. Now, before I get into the game that knocked Batman off its perch, I do want to talk about some of the other titles. So we're going to work our way from the bottom of the list up. Of course, we shouldn't be shocked. Call of Duty Advanced Warfare is on this list. FIFA 15, also on this list. Mortal Kombat X, Destiny, The Elder Scrolls Online, Tamriel Unlimited, Rory McIlroy PGA Tour, which I know our very own Jay Santee picked up. Grand Theft Auto V, still on the list. Now, the top four games, uh, excuse me, the top three games after GTA V in the number three slot, Minecraft, still. Let me, let me just uh, break this down. Minecraft, available on 360, PS3, Xbox One, and PS4, is still selling like hotcakes. Selling like hotcakes. It's insane. In the number two slot, Batman Arkham Knight knocked from number one to the number two slot. Now, the number one selling game for the month of July is insane because it's a game that I think our very own Slick has played. And you know what? He is actually on the line. So let me bring him in. Slick. What up, man? What's going on, dude? Same old, same old. So before I tell everyone... Before I tell everyone what the number one game is for the month of July, given that it's a game you've played, what do you think it is? That I've played? Yep. That you've told me you've played. I don't know if you've been playing it lately, but you've played it. And it's a newer game or an older game? Newer game. Available. I'll tell you how many systems it's on. 360, 3DS, PS3, Xbox One, Wii U, PS4, PS Vita. I'm at a loss. Based on a movie. I was going to say Witcher 3, but that's, that's only available for three systems. Based on a movie. I give up because I don't want to drag the show out. No, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this one. Based on a movie. Based on a movie. Nothing, huh? One of the Lego games? Very good. You're close. It is, is it a Lego, Lego game. Batman? Nope. Lego game, you're right. Not Lego Batman. Oh, please don't say it's Lego Jurassic Park. Jurassic Yet, World. Yes, it is. Lego Jurassic World was the number one selling game for the month of July, according to the MPD. How insane is that? It is insane, and I want to say this. I played Lego Jurassic World all the way through. I completed it 100%. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are a Lego fan, do yourself a favor. Do not buy this game at full price, because it's glitchy as shit. Some... For some players, it's been glitchy to the point where they had to stop playing it. That's right. Because a lot of people play Lego games not only because they're fun, but because they're, they're easy. If you happen to be like a trophy or achievement whore like myself, they're time-consuming, but they're, they're easy to, to platinum or get all the achievements on. Right. And this game has a habit of just doing insane glitches on you. Like, I showed one to Rich and Andrea. That's and right. They were like, what the fuck? That's right. Little dinosaur running into the sky. <laughs> like, the glitch that I experienced, a triceratops was running a race, and it looked like somebody, if you've ever, and 
I hope you haven't, but if you've ever seen an animal get tortured, get picked up by their tail, and, you know, their, their hindquarters are in the air, that's what it looked like. And the Triceratops just ran off into the sky <laughs> and to the point where I could see the entire game map surrounded by blackness. And then it just fell back to the ground. Yep. And the whole fucking system froze on me. I had to just turn off the PlayStation 4 completely. I actually, I actually told the family, like, their, their kids were trying to ask for games. And, you know, I was happy to see that they weren't asking for, like, Grand Theft Auto V. But I said to them, because they, they were, like, asking each other's opinion. And, no, they didn't ask me, but I, I can appreciate that ca- their parents got to work hard for their money. I was like, don't buy that game until it goes down in price. It's a great yep. game, but it's glitchy as all get out. There you go. And they picked up something else. It's it's just insane to me that that game would just come out of nowhere. No pun intended, Randy Orton fans, out of nowhere. <laughs> but would just knock off Batman. I mean, don't get me wrong. I know the Lego games were, were strong, but I also feel that it was helped by the fact that the game came out on every fucking system that exists currently. Well, definitely. And plus, <laughs> I think it might also be the fact that... that um. It has seen a lot of sale. Like I have seen it on sale in stores for like forty nine ninety nine or maybe less. Well, but one... um, go ahead. But I think that's pro- that along with the fact that it's available for everything is probably why it knocked everything out the box. Well, that also, and somebody also brought to my attention, and it's been noted as well that even though Batman Arkham Knight was there. That if you would have included the Batman Arkham Knight bundles, which the MPD does not include, that would have put Batman back in the number one slot. Mm, I don't know if it would put it back in the number one. No, that's what they said. No, that's 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 what was said when the report came out. They said that if you didn't, if if you factored in Batman Arkham Knight bundles into the overall sales of Batman Arkham Knight, then it would it Batman Arkham Knight would be the number one selling game in in the month of July. Oh, okay, then actually that's a good thing because that's that's padding the numbers the way like right 3D and IMAX correct movie sales correct and that's you know that's something of, of note. But the one thing you have to you have to notice from this is that you know even though you know game re- new game releases are down five percent from last month they're still substantially higher than they were last year. In addition, next generation software sales were up 63% in large part to Batman being the influence there. Um, Last gen and handheld software sales were down 39 and 33% respectively. So when you look at that, you're looking at two things. First of all, Rocksteady can talk a lot of shit because they can say, that they that they were the they were on the they were the tip of the spear in terms of new generation software being sold because they accounted for you know the, a sixty three percent increase which considering how many people are playing Batman Arkham Knight you got you can't ignore the fact that that game definitely leveraged the hardware that it what that it had as its at its disposal that we can't even argue. Well, if Warner Brothers is smart. Considering they said that that's the last in the Arkham series, they need to either A, get Rocksteady to work on a Batman series for whatever this new movie um, 
Okay. These new Batman movies they're making are coming out, or they need to get them to work on a Justice League game. Well, you know what it is? If they were smart, they would... I'd like to challenge Rocksteady to make a good Superman game. Because that's tough, The reason why that's really difficult, and I want to say this to everybody that's listening, anybody that's in the chat that wants to chime in, if you can tell me a game, a good game, like a 3D platform-style game where the character flies... I think the biggest problem is just the fact that Superman flies. It, it works with Batman because, yeah, he glides, but it's not it's not infinite, and you know most of it is just jumping and using the grapnel gun. The same thing why it usually when I say usually works with Spider Man, right? But Superman flies, and I mean I mean if you think about the new Fifty Two Superman. He never touches the ground unless somebody knocks his ass down. Well, they've retconned that too, and he now has less powers, but that's a separate discussion for a separate show. But no, I, I understand that being a challenge, but that's what I'm saying. You, you know, you're taking a character, you you created magic with Batman. You harnessed every aspect of the character that works and made it enjoyable. Like, you, you know, Josh, who you know personally, said to me, he goes, the detective mode where Barbara Gordon would jumped out of the car and you had to detect how she fell out of the car and all this shit. That's a game in itself. <laughs> That's a dude. That, Batman solving crimes like that is an entire game by itself. Well, I mean, that comes from they've been doing that since Asylum. Where, right. Like, he was following like fingerprints and scent trails right. and footprints and shit like that. Right, but think about it. That in and of itself, how they took it to that extra level in this game, is is its own entity at this point. You know, same thing with all the Batmobile stuff. It's like its own game. You know, like they, it, it's almost three separate games going on at the same time. And I think Rocksteady did a good job with that. I think that you could you could kind of spin that a little bit with Superman by utilizing some of the Clark Kent persona, but obviously not to that degree, but still you could probably do a little a little mini game, hey, you know we're doing we're investigating this piece, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and then obviously you can you can do free roaming where you can save like a lady who's being robbed or a bank that's being robbed, you know what I mean, or the proverbial and you can get an achievement for this cat stuck in a tree. I just like I said, the it's it's really the fact that he flies that I think that's really what makes the game difficult to make a good game. I think that that it, with previous, I was thinking about the Superman sixty four and what made it so terrible, <laughs> and it was the flying mechanic. Well, you know what I would I would probably do. I would probably make it where. You know, you have the first level kind of GTA style where only Metropolis is available and you have to open up X missions from Metropolis. But if you wanted to open it up a little further, then you could do like Coast City, you know, something like that where you can open up some other areas. And then it pretty much can be, you know, Superman flies up and, you know, you have different parts of the Earth that you could do stuff. I mean, it, it, it's definitely challenging, but I think if you if you if you pretty much cornered it to where it's like Metropolis and a couple of key places, then maybe you could do something with it. The flying it, it definitely poses some questions and some challenges, but Rockste- if Rocksteady can 
can put their heads together to give us a Batman game uh, of this magnitude that is that enjoyable, I'd I'd be curious just to see if they if they'd be willing to take the challenge. You know, well, if anybody could pull off Rocksteady, could I mean I guess they could take some cues from whoever's in charge of making like the Dragon Ball Z games because those fe- feature f- fighting midair. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely a good idea to leverage that stuff. I mean, again, that's just me throwing ideas out there, but Rocksteady seems to understand and respect the mythology of the characters that they're working with, even though, you know, they've taken some liberties with certain things, but, you know, seeing Asriel in this new game and the Red Hood and stuff like that, you see that they that they understand and respect the mythology. I mean, if we go back, it's a game that you and I have talked about fondly, the Hulk Ultimate Destruction, a mindless fucking game, mindless but it succeeded in capturing what the Hulk was all about, which is breaking shit. <laughs> you don't want these deep narratives. I really, I really wish Activision would get like Radical Games to make a new version of that. Right. And I don't even. I don't mean a remake. I want a new game to you know maybe to coincide with whenever Marvel decides to make another freaking Hulk movie. Right. Or even an Avengers game in that same space. Uh, I, I really would prefer a Hulk game. You want hundred percent Hulk, <laughs> because it's just because. I mean, again, think about that game, and I think you've said it before that Hulk doesn't have like the most creative rogue no. gallery. No, <laughs> but it doesn't matter because with Hulk, and that's when you can bring in like the Avengers into the game because you can literally throw pretty much any any Earth-based Marvel char- characters into the game and throw them at Hulk and literally have him bash his way and smash his way through it. As long as you're not going cosmic, like, the game is still fair. You right. throw literally everything at him. Well, you know what I would do? I would actually leverage that into certain aspects being playable by some of uh, either other Hulks or other characters. Like, you could play a Scar... You could play as Rulk, She-Hulk, Red She-Hulk. I th- I think it would open it up a little bit and just give you some variety and also allow you to play as the different characters. Like maybe maybe the Hulk is is you know under some sort of mind control and you got to stop him. So that part of the game you're gonna play it as Red Hulk or you're gonna play it as Scar. You know, like that adds. A, a, and that's fine because at the time that Ultimate Destruction came out, yep. you didn't have. Ninety-five percent of those characters you don't right. really had She-Hulk. That's right. You didn't have the only that deep mythology. You could play at in this game, in that game, were like Joe Fixit and Banner Hulk. Right, but that's what I mean. You could throw in, you know, Doc Samson. Um, you know, you could do stuff like that. You can make it that the Hulk goes. You could even actually play part of the game in the story of World War Hulk. You know, where he's fighting in the Gladiator Arena. And all that shit, you could you could really take it there if you wanted to, and I think that you're definitely onto something because it's true. You know, the Hulk's mythology and the the approach for a game like that is super simple. You know, Hulk Ultimate Destruction had that figured out, which is crazy because back then it wasn't like we weren't working with the same stuff that we're working with now. Definitely not. But I um talking about. When- you mentioned Batman for a second that actually went into something else I wanted to talk about. Shoot. Because <clears throat> I had been um, 
you know, I've been heavily in favor of Batman Arkham Knight, but at the same time, been heavily critical of the season pass, which, I, you know, I still feel that way because I, I don't feel that any season pass should be anything more than at the most $25. Right. And with some of the information you sent me today, that's even, you know, been even further cemented in my mind because um, on Raytrix right now, you can see that there's a trailer for upcoming content for Dying Light. Right. And there, there's no, there's not enough information to say just how big it's going to be, but they clearly are introducing a new, a new game area. Which, knowing knowing Techland, it'll be a pretty expansive area. There's definitely going to be more story missions, more story, and more, you know, plenty more zombies to beat the shit out of. Right. But the the pricing for this, which is called, it's going to be called the following. There's no release date on it yet. It's fourteen ninety nine if you just buy the DLC. Right. But if you bought right. the season pass, which for Dying Light the season pass was nineteen ninety nine, and of course still is, you get that content free. Now you take a look at that for a moment. The Dying Light season pass initially covered three things. It was called the um, the cuisine and cargo, which added two uh, quarantine zones to the game. There was the Ultimate Survivor Pack, which gave you a bunch of weapons and costumes. Okay. And the Bozak Horde, which was, you know, a a series of challenges and a horde mode in the game where basically you had to follow those lunatic's instructions or die. And that, that got you a bow and arrow, which was a, a new added weapon to the game. Right. And they also added, you know, additional hardcore challenges at no extra charge and some other things. And um, that was covered for 1999, which would, I think, cost you maybe something like uh, $23 if you had to pay for it separately. Okay. But now you're getting the following for free if you bought that season pass, which is priced at $15. So basically, the $20, you're getting close to $40 worth of content, and it's adding gameplay adding solid value to the game right so it's still half the price of the batman season pass and from what we've seen so far because i i did not purchase season pass i don't intend to unless it drops in price but i know people that have it's given you much much more content than the batman season pass because the story content of the season pass is very short from what yep. I've been told, like, you know, you take, like, the um, the Batgirl mission, I've heard that that's hardly an hour worth of gameplay. That is correct. I've heard the same thing. So, I mean, it's like the, these companies, I, I'm not mad at them for wanting our money, but they, they got to they gotta understand that, you know, gamers want value for what they're paying for. No, you're 100% right. The price tag on Arkham on Arkham Knight is absolutely worth the money because it's a fantastic game. It's a you know a game that's going to get a lot of hours of your time, but the season pass is not worth it. And when you have examples of season passes like the twenty dollar Dying Light season pass, which now is giving you you know close to forty dollars worth of content for half the price. And the $25 um, Witcher 3 season pass, which 
while that has hasn't um, provided any content yet, is promising more content than what most sixty dollar games provide these days. Right. I mean, it's like you look at companies like like um like uh, Warner Brothers and who, who who does Mortal Kombat, but whatever. Nether Realm. You're like, how dare you? No, I I understand I understand what you're saying. The problem is, and and you know we've talked we've talked about this, so we're not we're not going to go too deep. When you look at DLC, at the end of the day, it depends. It's all dependent on which developer and which company really has the interest of the consumer in mind versus the interest of just getting a couple of extra dollars in their in their pockets. I mean, at the end of the day, we're it's all a business. It's all here to move units and make money. But when we start breaking down all the companies and what they're doing and what they're offering, you start to see which companies are thinking small ball instead of, you know, knocking it out of the box. There's a there's a book written by a guy named Gary Vaynerchuk whose work I I admire and his work ethic is amazing and he wrote a book which I've read and I recommend that if you're trying to start a business you read it's called Jab 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 Right Hook. And the the premise of the book is that you can't jump out of the gate and be automatically saying, give me, you know, you got to you got to do jabs. You got to do small things to get people interested. And then you hit them with the right hook. For, for instance, what you were saying with Dying Light, think about all the stuff that they gave you from the jump that was free. You get what I'm saying? Those were the jabs. Yeah. Those were the jabs. Here comes the right hook. In the, in the sense that here's this piece of DLC that is going to make expand the game tremendously, but it's going to expand the game in, in a way that is going gonna, is gonna to make you want to continue playing it. So what they're doing is they're saying, hey, we've given you all this great stuff and we've charged you nothing. Now we're giving you the opportunity to play this, which you can acquire for a nominal fee. And what will happen is that much like you've just mentioned, other gamers are going to be like, you know what? They've given me a lot of shit. I really like the game. Eh, what's 15 bucks? You know? And when you see that, you say to yourself, damn, it's, it's an easier cost of entry. At the end of the day, as, as a business, you got to remember how much you got to do a lot of giving before you decide to ask for something. And, die, and you know, the, the, the company behind Dying Light did that. They gave you a lot. So now they're saying, hey, if you want to get this, it's, it's 15 bucks. Another good example, Rockstar. How much shit does Rockstar give you for GTA? And I was actually going to touch on that, too, because you mentioned that Rockstar was, what, number five for this month, for July? I believe so. Uh, hold on a second. I'll tell you. Uh, number four. GTA 5 was number four this month. Well... All of the downloadable content was free for Grand Theft Auto V, but I think what really pushed the sales up, and, you know, I could be wrong, but during July and partially into August, they had basically a month's worth of bonuses. Where That's right. They, they really got you to play the heist. Right. Like, but not counting the, the first one, which is called the Fleecer Job, which is kind of a tutorial, the, the four major heists for... Each individual week, they they you know they gave you double the experience and double the money for all the, the missions leading up to the heist and the heist itself. Right. I mean, for the 
the the final job, which is called the Pacific Standard job, the regular payout is I think like two. I think it's one and a half million dollars. Okay. Uh, a payout for um, but it's split amongst four people, and the quote unquote heist leader gets the majority of the money unless he decides to split it evenly. Okay. So that guy is getting, you know, a little over a little over six hundred thousand dollars. But there there are bonuses involved depending upon how you did it. Like if you did it without dying, if it's the first time you completed the mission. Okay. I didn't change when I when I did that, I didn't change the cuts and me myself as the heist leader when I finished that, I think it was last week. I made off with almost two and a half million dollars for myself. Wow, crazy you know, stuff! Money doesn't come easy in Grand Theft Auto Five. Hell no! The My thing- payout, like the other guys, got like three hundred and seventy-five thousand each. No, actually, because of the double money, they got seven hundred and fifty thousand each. I made off with two point four seven million. Oof. Well, that's what that's what I'm saying. You know the the jabs. And then the right hook. It's like all this free stuff. And then, you know, we're, we want a little something. The problem is that a lot of companies, they figure they're going to come out delivering right hooks first instead of jabbing, which is what's happening. Companies come in and they want to jab. They want to jab a little bit and they want to jab a little bit. And then some companies don't execute the right hook. And they just jab a little bit and keep giving you stuff and giving you stuff. And then they may not ever ask you for anything because the game sells so much that it doesn't even matter. But sometimes there are those instances where, hey, we're going to need a little something. And this is what happens. And, and I think it's partially, you know, me getting older or just being someone who's trying to run a business. I look at that as well. And I, I look at it from the standpoint of if we're giving you a lot of stuff and we're asking for something in return, at the end of the day, it's are you being entertained and are we delivering on our promise? See, in Batman's case, you're like I said, you're essentially getting three games in one with, you know, between, you know, all the different mechanics, the scale of the game, the amount of hours. The problem was, like I said, they came out swinging with that right hook. It's like, oh, yeah, we're going to give you the red hood. Awesome, right? Fucking tremendous. But you got to pay for it. Oh, you want to play as Batgirl? Or you want to have this awesome ass mission? Oh well, you know it's twenty bucks. And what happens is that when you give, when people see that, they're like, "All right, yeah." And then it's like it, it'll cost you twenty bucks. No, <laughs> you know that's there's a, there's a lot of that. They're not jabbing in the sense that hey, if you bought the one hundred dollar edition of the game that came with a fucking statue and a book, then you get to enjoy all this shit for free. You see what I'm saying? Like, they, like they're not even reminding people that said, hey, you guys got this stuff. It's already there. And for those of you that want it, that didn't buy this stuff, then you're stuck with the season pass or you got to buy the shit a la carte. And the problem with that is, and you know this as well as anyone, the game of the year edition is going to happen. Yep. And that, my friends, is the problem. If it was a thing where they were jabbing and jabbing and then they hit you with the right hook and you bought all this DLC and they never released a game of the year edition, then you'd be like, all right, cool. But you know it's going to happen. You know it. You know a game of the year edition is a fucking given. And because of that, people are in the same camp you're in. Don't get me wrong, dude. I don't mind being gamed for my money 
as long as there's incentive for me to give it to you. Like, and and I'll use this before we wrap it up and, and you get your last, your last things in. Look at Apple. Here's a great example. You can build a computer, and you know this because you're, you're, you've been in the trenches with me. You can build a computer comparable to a Mac Pro for a fraction of what a Mac Pro costs. Am I right? Yep. Now, the people that pay for the Mac Pro, are they paying for the same components or are they paying for the other part, the other facets that Apple brings to the table? Uh, I would say, I guess in the case of Apple, I guess they're paying for the customer service, but really they're, they're paying for that, that, little, that little Apple insignia. Right, but what I'm saying is you're paying, the thing is, two computers, one one built, you know, for Windows, one built for for Apple, same specs, same hardware, same everything. One is 2500, one is 1500, just as an example. You're looking at them both. You're asking yourself, "Okay, what am I paying for?" I'll tell you. You're paying for number 1, the Apple on the back. That's that's a given. Number 2, you're paying for customer service, support, uh, the premium construction service and just because you feel like you're a part of something you get what i'm saying yeah you don't get that with windows you get here's a motherboard here's a cpu good luck go fuck yourself if it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm right dude <laughs> pretty much you buy you a computer get, you get um click here to contact us that's it we might get back to you that's it you buy a dell you pay eight hundred, a thousand, you know, two thousand dollars for a piece of equipment from Dell, and the first thing they say is, "Click here to live chat." Now I'll tell you, Microsoft surprised me, and I'll tell you why. And and you know, I'll let you wrap up your point, and we'll jump into entertainment. The laptop behind me, I updated to Windows ten, and the first couple of days after I updated it, I could not use the touch screen for whatever reason. Couldn't use the touch screen. Touch, 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 jack and shit. I'm like, uh, okay, that sucks. So I walk into the local Microsoft store. Yes, people, those do exist. And um, I walk in, and the rep is like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, listen, I updated to Windows 10, and my touchscreen doesn't work. He's like, okay. So first thing, he was like, hey, did you buy our enhanced blah, blah, blah? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Your operating system, my laptop isn't that old cut the shit and then another sales guy heard me and he he noticed the frustration he came over he goes listen any piece of equipment you buy from us we will look at and service for free period and he said he says to me he goes young guy was just trying to you know put that out there to see if he could sell you on a plan but we 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 stand by our shit not only did it surprise me but it made the fact that I bought this laptop directly from them not make me want to blow my fucking brains out. And I said to myself, buying it here and paying the money here got me an extra level of service. Now, you and I both know you buy it at Best Buy. Oh, you got to make an appointment with Geek Squad, and it's $25 to look at it, and it's $30 to look at through your hard drive, and another 50 if we want to look at the porn you have on your computer and then we're just going to run this antivirus and send you on your way. So with that said, you're paying for certain facets of things that don't make a lot of sense to the rest of us. 
And when it comes to games, we're in that same camp. Like, you, hell, you're a prime example. You said to me, dude, why the fuck did you buy all that shit for Mortal Kombat? And my response was, because I wanted the shit now. You wanted it. Right. But again, do I know that there will be a Game of the Year edition down the road? Yes. Absolutely. Did I want to play the shit now? That's what I wanted. I was paying for the instant gratification. In the case of Batman, all you're paying for is for an extra hour or maybe two of gameplay. That's not worth $40. It's not. Nope. I agree with you 100%. And that's the problem. If, if they would have been smart, they would have said, hey, for $40, you're going to get an extra eight hours of gameplay, both as Batman, as the Red Hood, as Batgirl, as Harley, if you want, and as Azrael. Whatever the case may be, you go, fuck, you know, an eight hours worth of a game for 40 bucks isn't bad. But that's not what you're yes, getting. I, I, again, I'm just shooting that out there because we've known games that are 60 bucks that you beat in eight hours. We know this. I'm just saying that at least if you're kind of sticking it out there like that, then it's not too terrible. But what's happening is you're giving people an hour here, an hour there, and then the fucking challenge maps and the stupid, um, whatchamacallit, where... Are the challenge maps the same thing where you got to beat up 19 dudes at the same time? There's the predator maps and the yep. free flow maps. The predator maps are the challenges. The free flow is the beat the shit out of everybody. Is right. Like, right. And again, is, is there really any value in that other than, you know, just, just video game masturbation? Oh, look, I chained together a 64-hit combo and knocked out 15 guys. Great. Give yourself a gold star. Like, did you record it? No. But who cares? There you go. Now I saw I saw in the uh, in the notes you had something to add about Madden. What happened? This is gonna blow your mind. I actually want to say something positive about that Madden. Shoot. You you were mentioning about you know buying it every other year and maybe just doing a roster update. But one thing EA seems to be good for is maybe because you you mentioned it for just a second like. They seem to maintain the servers, and you were saying that not a whole lot of people will be playing the older versions because of the newer versions, and that may not always be true because as long as they, the servers are maintained, there's always a community. And the re reason why I say that is because something that happened yesterday, well, at this point, Wednesday, because it's Friday now, it, eight years later, almost eight years later, I finally platinum Burnout Paradise, which is made by who? EA. EA. Well, not made. It's it's published by EA. Right. And the reason why it took so long is because the last trophy I needed, I needed seven other people to do it. Jeez. So it was an online-only trophy. Right. And I could never do that. But this one guy managed to get a bunch of people together, and I got it. And I was shocked at first. I was like, Burnout Paradise service is still up? <laughs> the game came funny. out in 2000, January of 2008. Those servers are still up. Well, that's pretty cool. I mean, I'm not, you know, that's one thing, and and that, and it's cool that you mentioned that. I mean, sometimes it's easy for us to come on here and bash the shit, but that, that actually makes me happy to hear just because it's pretty cool. But like I said, what I felt playing Madden is what you felt playing Burnout. You know, it's like a game that you were excited to play. It made you feel good playing it. 
Like, sometimes if you're playing a game and you feel like you're going through the motions, it's not worth playing anymore. Like I said, partially I want to attribute it to absence making the heart grow fonder. And, you know, I was like, wow, I haven't played Madden in fucking years. Wow, this looks pretty cool. Oh, shit, this is awesome. Whatever. Maybe not. You know, maybe I could play the game for a week straight and be like, oh, fuck this game. Same old shit. But at that moment, for that brief half an hour that I played the game, you know, 45 minutes, felt good. Am I going to be online buying the shit the next day? No, not at all. Nowhere, nowhere is that happening. <laughs> you know, but I, I, was, I was just, I wanted to acknowledge that I was pleasantly surprised. That's all I'm saying. Anything else you wanted to add? That's cool. I mean, yeah, you, you just reminded me of the madness of what people will wait online for. Because you, you mentioned, like, because we know when, when Madden comes out, there will be that line. Oh, absolutely. But, um... I saw the the a pictures you had shared. Ago, I, I tried to do a a dark pit, the straight? dark pit amiibo. Yeah. Oh, it was insane. That you, picture I showed you. Well, you know what was funny? Somebody sent me a text message from a line in another state. They're like, "Yo, look at this." I'm like, "Is that real?" And he's like, "Yeah." I'm like, "This is insane." I was like, "I'm really glad right now that I never got into amiibos." I'm not. I'm. I'm glad. But, like I've always said, you know, there, there's always opportunity. Yeah, there's always opportunity. <laughs> I, I wasn't even looking for opportunity. I was just trying to, you know, do, do somebody a solid. for a friend. Right. No, no, I, I understand. Like, fuck this. I understand that. But the joke is, you know, it's like every town has an Elm Street. You know, there's always opportunity. I hear you. You know, it, I, when I saw that line, I said to myself, out of that 50 people that are online, 10 of them really want it. And the other 40 are reselling them shits immediately. They are listing them on eBay in their fucking car. Pretty much. They're taking the picture in the car. That's it. Getting it on there as soon as possible. You know it. Can't. Yeah. So that they have bids by the time they get home. That's right. Because it's. It, it, think about it. You know, um, who's, you know who's genuinely there. You know this. I'm freaking shocked that looking at Best Buy's website that... They're still allowing pre-orders on Age of Ultron. What the other uh, Blu-ray? Because they got those those two different steel boxes, and you know that people are gonna go insane trying to buy three and four copies of the movie, and eBay is gonna be uh, freaking flooded on October second. I'll tell you this, and and I use this as uh, as our way to segue out the um the Guardians of the Galaxy steelbook surprised the shit out of me how people went bananas for that only because. You know how it goes. Steelbooks come and go. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, they're kind of cool, whatever. This one, gone immediately. I told you. I was like, and it was funny because I had called you that day. I was like, you want me to pick up one for you? They're like, no, nah, I'll get it late. I was like, dude, these people are acting like there's free cheese being given out. Yep. But that's what I'm saying. It didn't bug me, and it still didn't, you know, even now to this day because I'm like, eh, whatever. Like, I know guys that are hardcore into steelbooks, so they try to buy them. As soon as they come out for any movie, I mean, when Tarantino, when they started doing the Tarantino movies in the Steelbooks, I know a couple guys went real crazy for them. I mean, that's to each their own. Me personally, like I said, I wanted the movie. That was it. The packaging doesn't mean shit to me because it goes on a shelf. Unless you're you're hanging it on a wall or doing something or displaying it in such a way where it becomes a talking piece. I, for me personally, dude, it's it's in a bookshelf. I don't give a shit. Exactly. I only get it because. If you get it the first day, it's the same price as getting the regular, right. the regular edition. Right. And that's, that's the fine. only reason why I get it, because I'm like, 
using Guardians as an example, it's a really cool package, but right. it's the case. Exactly. It adds nothing to the experience. Correct. 100% right. I like the fact that people were paying $70 on eBay for a $30 movie. I was like, get the fuck out of here. It was insane. Well, with that said... Um, I'm not even so mad at the people on eBay. I'm mad at the people paying for it. There you go. That's what you got to be mad at. Like I always say, I'm never mad at the person that's trying to get paid. Um, if you're going to get mad at somebody, get mad at the dummy who opens their wallet. <laughs> there you go. All right. Anything else to add, my friend? No, I'm good for now. All right, brother. As always, thank you for the assist. I appreciate it. All right. I'll talk to you later, man. All right, brother. Peace. Peace. That was our very own Sleek. Our Sleek. <laughs> our very own Slick. Follow him on Twitter, RW underscore Slick. You can follow him there, our very own Sleek. Sleek. That's your name from now on, Sleek. <laughs> anyway, with that said, that is going to uh, wrap up our gaming news for the week. Let's switch gears, jump into some entertainment news, and sprint to the finish, shall we? I've been trying very hard to stay within our 90-minute parameter. It, sometimes we go a little off board, but there's not too many crazy things going on in the world of entertainment that are going to drag this out too long. But I want to get into it, so let's get the ball rolling. Uh, first thing I wanted to talk about is that Ronda Rousey, who recently released her autobiography, My Fight, Your Fight, has optioned the rights to the book. Uh, Ronda Rousey will be playing herself, of course, in the, in the, in the movie adaptation of this book. Uh, the book was released earlier this spring and, of course, focuses on her life from childhood through her Olympic run to her current run in the UFC. Um, I've read a couple of chapters of the book. Uh, I actually had somebody uh, lend it to me for a little bit, just thumbing through it. Um, uh, definitely a great story. Ronda Rousey's story, very, very inspirational. Uh, if you guys listen to the MMA and wrestling edition of the show, you'll understand where my stance is with regards to her impact on the sport. Uh, I'm not even shocked that they're going this route and they're going to create a movie about her life, uh, her life. Very interesting. Like I've said, you know, from her childhood to uh, competing in the Olympics, to getting into mixed martial arts, to becoming the face of the organization. Uh, incredible story. Definitely something that I'd be interested in checking out. And nobody ever thought that a film, let a good example, eight mile, Eminem's story is tremendous. Great story. Uh, very, very heartbreaking. Very sad. Uh, very frustrating. Some of us feel a lot of parallels with certain aspects of his life. And to see that movie translate so well to the big screen and to be so, so well received just surprised me. I mean, even right now, Straight Out of Compton, uh, Straight Out of Compton comes out in theaters today, now that it is August 14th while we're doing this broadcast and people have said that it's just a great film um, really really well done tells an amazing story and I think that there's there's always room for for a good biopic that that does the person justice I'm curious to see uh, what they do with Ronda Rousey's story how they bring it to the big screen um, I definitely check it out like I said if you want to read her book 
My Fight is Your Fight. I'll put a link for that in the show notes. But as of right now, there is no release date. But um, she's going to probably be fighting Misha Tate in December. Then she's going to be doing Mile 22 with Mark Wahlberg. So she's definitely got a full plate. But I wouldn't be shocked if, if they start to fast track this film just to maximize her popularity at this time. Of course, once I get a release date and any other news, I will share it with you guys. In some Spider-Man news, I know our very own Ben and Taylor from Black is the New Black sounded off on this a little bit on their show, but I did want to touch on it, and that is the rumor that the villain for the upcoming Spider-Man film from Marvel is going to be none other than Kraven the Hunter. Um, Right now, that is a rumor, but a very, very strong one at this time. Um, One of the reasons being that they're probably going to borrow elements from Kraven's Last Hunt, and um, personally, the way the way I see it, Craven is a very, very unique character that it, when you look at, at the stories he's been involved in in the Spider-Man mytho- in the Spider-Man mythology, you'll see that he's been um, intentionally or unintentionally uh, a, a driving force in some very, very big moments in Spider-Man's in Spider-Man's in Spider-Man's life. So. I think I think using a character like him is is interesting. I mean, I've said this before, going with the usual Dr. Octopus, Green Goblin, very very easy targets, very easy to do, but the real work comes in in using characters like the Shocker or Scorpion or Craven. Uh the Vulture is another guy. Th- those are characters that have different levels, different motivations, you know, Alistair Smythe and the Spider Slayers. There's there's a lot of different uh, different storytelling that you can do with those characters as it relates to Spider-Man. Now, going with a character like Craven is interesting because he's a very very he's a very physical character. Plus, he's he's a, a character that can sit there and and exchange from you know hand to hand combat with Spider-Man, and it would look really good, you know. Slick says if they wanted a solid trilogy, they would do either black the back in black storyline or superior or superior Spider-Man. You know what the thing is, and and those are both solid stories. If you haven't picked them up, you should. Um, those are solid, but I also think that you want to leverage stories that can be easily woven into the Marvel universe. Now, going with Craven's Last Hunt, or even using Craven, opens a couple of different doors. Obviously, using Craven throwing in the chameleon, um, you know, using New York effectively as the backdrop. There's there's a lot that can be done there. For me personally, I've always felt that the Craven character had a lot going for it. I mean, one of my favorite stories was Craven, the Lizard, Calypso, and Spider-Man when McFarlane was doing the Spider-Man run. Uh, there was There was a lot of really good stuff there, really beautiful art. And just great storytelling. Craven's Last Hunt was tremendous as well. But I always felt that when McFarlane was doing Spider-Man, that storyline, you know, using Calypso and Raven and the Lizard was just was just perfect. And I think part of that was was the art more so than the story itself. But that was one of the stories that always struck me as being one of the Craven stories I enjoyed. Again, you could do a lot with the character. I personally am curious to see who they would get to play him. You know, uh, Ben and Taylor had a couple of jokes 
about certain actors. Uh, one in particular they mentioned was Daniel Day-Lewis, which I'd, I'd be curious to see. I think Daniel Day-Lewis, if he played Craven the same way he played Bill the Butcher in Gangs of New York in that same style, um, I think it would work. I just feel that Daniel Day-Lewis is such a dramatic actor that I don't know if he'd want to go through you know, just the, the, the incredible levels of physicality that you'd have to go through between Craven and Spider-Man because Craven's a, a physical guy that he wants to hunt Spider-Man. He wants the, 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 the joy of killing Spider-Man with his bare hands. I, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis can pull it off, but I just feel that it would be um, more, more physical. I, they were joking about Mel Gibson, but if you look at Mel Gibson, especially after the work he put in in The Expendables, I, I'd like to see that. I wouldn't mind seeing a guy like Mel Gibson playing a guy like Craven because he, he looks the part. If you look at Mel Gibson, he's especially after his turn in the Expendables, you know, he's jacked. He he has you know, he has that that intensity about him that works. I mean, I know a lot of people don't want to touch Mel Gibson with a ten foot pole after all the crazy shit he said and, you know, all the racial stuff he he, he said, but you gotta look at it this way. We're, we're talking about redemption. Robert Downey Jr. was a guy who was at the bottom of the barrel, and he redeemed himself and now is one of the highest-paid actors in Hollywood. You, you have to look at that as well. I mean, I, I'd like to see that only because I feel that Mel Gibson brings that intensity. He has genuine acting chops, and I think he would be able to do a lot of the more physical stuff on screen. Again, that's just that's just my opinion I mean, Ben and Taylor joked about it, you know, obviously because Mel Gibson's a, a psychopath. But I feel that as an actor, he he could make that work. I think he's definitely a guy not to not to um, sweep under the rug, so to speak. I, I wouldn't mind that if I had to pick somebody to play Craven the Hunter on the big screen that would be intense and physical. I'd probably go with I'd probably go with Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson would probably be my pick. Um, Daniel Day-Lewis, I, I can agree with that casting as a solid second. Um, I would also go with, um, is it Stephen Lang? The, uh, the, the, the guy who was the villain in Avatar with the crew cut. Slick, help me out. Was that Stephen Lang? or, or I want to say that that was Stephen Lang in Avatar. He was also the villain in Jason Momoa's Conan. That guy, I think he would, he also has that intense physical look to play um avatar you know with the with the blue with the blue people the the navi avatar that one not not the airbender <laughs> definitely not that one james cameron's avatar there you go in any case those are the those are the rumors right now it looks like we may be seeing craven on the big screen mix it up with spider-man uh steven lang thank you thank you um again We'll see what happens. Keep it locked here for any updates as they come in. Now, I want to talk about Lord of the Rings, particularly the Hobbit trilogy. Now, you guys know the Hobbit trilogy wrapped up and has been released on on home video. But what if I told you that they're going to release extended editions of all three films that will be in theaters over three nights in October. What if I told you that? What if I told you that there's actually more stuff in both The Hobbit, An Unexpected Journey, The Desolation of Smaug, 
and Battle of the Five Armies, and it's going to be in theaters. You'd probably think I'm crazy, right? Well, I'm not not crazy at all. Uh, starting on October 5th with The Unexpected Journey, they're going to give extended editions of all three films. As of right now, we don't know if they're going to be streamed in succession or if they're going to be spaced out, but the fact is it is an extended edition of each film, which we know will at some point be released on DVD and Blu-ray. Now, for those of you that have bought the films already, I, I figured I would be wise to hold out this time, and sure enough, there it is, an extended trilogy hitting theaters in October. Again, mark October 5th down on your calendar for an extended edition of The Hobbit, The Unexpected, An Unexpected Journey, as the first film that's getting the extended treatment, followed, of course, by The Desolation of Smaug, and last but not least, The Battle of the Five Armies. So there you go. All right. The other, the other news is, is release news, but also sequel news. Sony Pictures dropped release dates for 16 of their upcoming films, including two Bad Boys sequels. Two. Bad Boys 3, releasing in 2017, and Bad Boys 4, releasing in 2019. As of right now, it looks like Will Smith is only signed on to produce the films and may not be reprising his role as Mike Lowry alongside Martin Lawrence. Now, a couple of things. We could be seeing this trilogy, well, not this trilogy at this point, these two sequels lead to a possible transition for two new actors to take the helm, possibly a passing of the torch, or they want to just get a big payday for both Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. I'll say this. The first Bad Boys film was very enjoyable, and the second Bad Boys film a little longer than I would have liked, but equally enjoyable. But the biggest part of the re the biggest factor in the enjoyment of both those films is the chemistry between Martin Lawrence and Will Smith. If either one of those guys is missing from a third or fourth installment, I do not see it being successful. I don't. You need Martin Lawrence and Will Smith together for both films, even if it's to pass uh, pass the torch to two new actors to take over the series. The fact is that the chemistry they have is a big part of why both Bad Boys 1 and Bad Boys 2 are as enjoyable as they were. Simple as that. Other films that they have on deck for release, of course, Ghostbusters, The Magnificent Seven, Underworld 5, a brand new Jumanji, the first installment of The Dark Tower, the final chapter of Resident Evil, which comes out January 27th, 2017, Uncharted, scheduled for 2017, a Barbie movie as well. Uh, Definitely a a crazy lineup from Sony, but the first thing you got to look at, obviously, is, like I said, the two Bad Boys sequels, The Dark Tower, which I'm interested in, and a fifth Underworld film, which I'm not even shocked is happening only because those films and the mythology that they've established can, can definitely be leveraged not only with obviously Kate Beckinsale, but with other characters that you can introduce to continue the series. They're, they're fun popcorn flicks. They're not super amazing, but I mean, the first underworld film was tremendous. The second one, I I actually liked the second one and even the prequel I enjoyed Not a big fan of the last one. I mean, I knew where they were going with it, but I didn't really enjoy it as much. 
as the first two films and the prequel. Again, that's just me. TV Line reports that Prison Break is going to be getting a special 10-episode event. You guys know that Fox has been doing this with a lot of their more popular series. They did it with 24. Now they're doing it with Prison Break and, of course, The X-Files. So we will be getting a 10-episode series event for Prison Break with both leads, Dominic Purcell and Wentworth Miller, reprising their roles in the series. Now, if you guys remember, at the end of Prison Break, uh, Michael Schofield did die in 2009's Prison Break, the final break. But as of right now, it looks like they're going to actually be ignoring that his character died in the fi- in the series. So uh, for those of you that are fans of Prison Break, you won't have to wait too long as right now it looks like we will be seeing Prison Break back on the small screen in 2016. Now, we have the return of, of, of shows that many of us enjoyed, but a new trend that we're starting to see are big screen adaptations heading to the small screen as series. First up, the one I want to talk about is the series based on the film Shooter. Now, if you guys are familiar with this film, Shooter starred Mark Wahlberg, who played a Marine sniper that was framed by the government, you know, by some shadowy figures in the government. And of course, the premise of the film was that he was trying to clear his name. Well, USA has actually picked up this series and Ryan Phillippe, who has been uh, pretty successful on the small screen, will be playing the role that Mark Wahlberg played in the film, which is that of Bobby Lee Swagger. Now, the thing that gets me is that Shooter was an enjoyable film for for what it was. You know, it was 90 minutes, maybe a a little over two hours. And it was solid. The premise was good. The action was good. Uh, You know, some of the the shooting was really cool. But is it enough to create a series for it? I personally don't think so. But clearly USA feels that there's enough, there's enough, you know, in the mythology of the series to create this, you know, this long-term series. I mean, as a mini-series, maybe, maybe as a two-season series, but anything long-term is, it's going to get real old real quick. Uh, USA has definitely done a good job with the series they currently have. I mean, I watch a lot of them and I've enjoyed them. Uh, Right now I'm watching Suits on USA, which partially gets my attention because a lot of the the great banter, the great chemistry between the actors involved. And the other series that has really blown my mind is um, Mr. Robot with uh, Christian Slater, Remy Malek. Um, Really, really insane show. If you guys have not had a chance to sit down and watch Mr. Robot, I cannot stress enough how crazy it is and how you definitely need to give it a shot. Mr. Robot is insane insane that's all i'm saying like i said usa has had a pretty solid track record at least for me uh white collar burn notice um even covert affairs which wasn't that great uh currently like i said mr robot suits there's there's definitely solid programming from usa i'll definitely check out uh a series based on the shooter but in terms of success eh, not 100 percent sold on it we'll see what happens Another series that I've talked about quite a bit on this show that I've really enjoyed as of late is The Strain, 
which is based on the Dark Horse comic of the same name. Well, for those of you that are fans of the series, you'll be pleased to know that FX has renewed the strain for another season already. I mean, the show's been doing very, very well thus far for FX. Uh, The story's getting really, really good. The acting is solid. They got a good cast. So I'm happy to report that the strain is getting um, another season. Now, besides Shooter getting the small screen treatment, another movie, which is a little older, but is coming to the small screen, is Antoine Fuqua's Training Day. Now, if you guys remember, Training Day starred Ethan Hawke and Denzel Washington as two you know, cops that were, that were partnered together, uh, with Denzel Washington being, quote-unquote, the villain in that film. But the fact is that that film was tremendous for, for a multitude of reasons. Uh, great performances by both Denzel Washington and Ethan Hawke. But just the way the film was done, um, how, how it allowed Denzel Washington to be viewed differently than the usual roles that he's done. Just a, a very far departure from the roles he's been in. Um, again, another sh- another series that I'm not, another film that I'm not sure can translate well into a long-term series, but the idea is that Antoine Fuqua will be executive producing the series, and um, the film obviously is going to follow both cops, and it's going to take place in the modern day and follow the dynamic between both officers. Again, not 100% sure that has enough grit and, and you know storyline depth to, to amount to a full series, but it definitely has my attention because Antoine Fuqua is involved in the creation of the series. No release date yet, no network yet, but as soon as I get that update, I believe that before we went on air, they were saying that CBS was going to have training day. Not 100% confirmed, but if that is the case, I'll definitely update you guys next week. Box office-wise, we all know that Fantastic Four came out. Everyone hated it. You can check out Julian's review on RageWorks.net. But as for the as for the overall box office top 10, let's go through it. Number 10 was Southpaw. You can see our review on RageWorks.net. Number 9 was Pixels. Number 8 was Trainwreck. 7 was Ricky and the Flash. 6 was Minions. 5 was Ant-Man. You can see the review for that on RageWorks.net as well. Number 4 was Vacation. Number 3... Uh, Five was Ant-Man, four was Vacation, three was The Gift, two was Fantastic Four earning $26.2 million, and number one was Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, which earned $29.4 million and brought its grand total to $108.7 million. I owe you guys a review for Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. I actually started writing it before I went on my trip, and then it kind of just fell through the cracks. I may try and finish it. Um, I will say that if you are a fan of the series and enjoy a, a more a, a more smarter action film, definitely give it a shot. Like I said, I'm definitely throwing my endorsement behind that film because I did enjoy it. But again, um, it's a little smarter, not as mindless as you know the Fast and Furious series. So know that going in. But the stunts were good. The story was pretty solid, and it was it was overall an enjoyable film. All right, switching gears, a couple of things I wanted to get out there. Um, Everybody's been talking about Tom Hardy's involvement in the big screen adaptation of 100 Bullets, which is uh, based off the Vertigo book. Uh, The film film 
which has been tossed about quite a bit, is based on a book that ran roughly 100 issues from 1999 to 2009 and followed Agent Graves, who I'm sure is going to be played by Tom Hardy, who actually gives different people a gun and the name of a person who ruined their lives, as well as a hundred rounds of untraceable bullets. Uh, definitely a crazy concept. Has has all the makings of a solid film. But again, it's all about execution. The series won plenty of Eisner and Harvey Awards, and definitely should be read if it hasn't already, because it is a tremendous series. Curious to see how they bring that to the big screen originally they were looking to try and do it as a tv series but all signs are pointing to it going to the big screen once we get some more details possibly a release date and um you know just more descriptive plot summaries i'll definitely share it with you guys the next bit of news for me was very very cool and i'm sure if you're a fan of the series constantine on nbc you will enjoy this next bit of news. Many of you know that I spoke highly of the Constantine series on NBC, and I felt that they pulled the plug on it too soon, and many of us held out hope that it would go to Netflix or Amazon or some other outlet for distribution. Unfortunately, that was not the case. But it looks like the crew over at CW's Arrow, along with Stephen Amell, are actually going to have Matt Ryan reprise his role as Constantine for an episode of Arrow, which is very cool. I mean, Stephen Amell was very vocal about saving Constantine and was working his, was trying his best to even have Arrow show up on an episode. Uh, very cool. Uh, props to the the Arrow crew for making that happen. And I'm excited to see Constantine in the DC small screen Arrow universe. I think that uh, Matt Ryan did a great job as Constantine, made the role his own. And I'm looking forward to seeing him mix it up with the rest of Team Arrow when season four of Arrow hits the small screen. Now, the last two bits of news I want to talk about. The first is a a slightly what the fuck movie news worthy news item. The second was just something I never would have thought would grace my inbox in a million years. Uh, First, let's get to the what the fuck movie news first. And that is... A reboot of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air being revived by none other than Will Smith. Looks like Will Smith is looking to produce a brand new reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air series. Obviously bringing it forward using the whole fish out of water uh, gif wrap to give us a brand new interpretation of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Not sure how I feel about that. There's, there's, I have a nagging suspicion that Jaden Smith is going to play the part that Will Smith played. I'd like to hope that's not the case, but the series is getting a reboot. Now, I don't know if it's going to be on Netflix or on broadcast television. We all know that the Full House reboot slash spinoff is going to take place on Netflix, but this brand new interpretation of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, I got no other news aside from the fact that Overbrook Entertainment is in the early stages of developing it. As of right now, there is no network assignment as of yet or a cast listing, but we are going to be seeing a reboot of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Why? I have no fucking idea, but it is happening, ladies and gentlemen. It is happening. Now, 
The next bit of news, like I said, I received a press release from HBO today, and I'm looking at it because I saw, uh, you know, I woke up and I and I was looking at my screen, squinting because like I wasn't fully awake yet, and I saw HBO and Sesame Street in the same sentence, and I said to myself, "Why is this here?" So I open it up, and it looks like, and this is really cool, uh, the Sesame Workshop and HBO have signed a deal for the next five seasons of Sesame Street to debut on HBO, HBO Go, HBO On Demand, and HBO Now. Now, due to this agreement, Sesame Street will be able to develop twice as many episodes and make the show obviously available for free on PBS and its member stations nine months after they debut on HBO. Now, many people were unsure about this, and and a lot of people were, were speaking poorly about this, but here's the thing. I grew up watching Sesame Street as a child, and it, it was always on PBS, you know, Children's Television Workshop. But we are in a, in, a, in a new environment where on-demand and direct distribution content are the name of the game. And sure, you can use YouTube and possibly just stream old episodes or possibly whatever's on your DVR. But a lot more people are using HBO and consuming content via HBO. I probably have consumed more content on HBO now as an adult than I did as a kid. I think when I was a kid, the most I watched on HBO was Tales from the Crypt and Dream On and the occasional movie. Now I watch countless shows, countless documentaries, and of course, a a fair amount of movies on HBO. I think HBO is starting to really step outside of its usual niche of just original programming and is trying to provide something for everyone. I'm not knocking this at all because you're still getting Sesame Street on PBS. Yes, it's going to be a couple of months after um, it debuts on HBO, but I don't think children are chomping at the bit for the latest episode of Sesame Street without re- and, and that they're actually keeping track of what episode the series is up to. Again, that's just me. I think that this is a, just a great way for HBO to position itself as a, a, a big player that offers more than just original programming. We already know that the battle right now you know, rages on between Amazon, Netflix, and now HBO, given that they're both, all three are providing services outside the confines of broadcast television. If you have HBO now and you're paying for that, then you know that you can consume HBO content whenever you wish. I, I think it's a, it's a unique a unique arrangement and a di- and a solid arrangement because like I said it's allowing HBO to offer unique programming to a different demographic. I mean, HBO used to have Babar the Elephant, uh Fraggle Rock they used to give on HBO if I remember correctly, Encyclopedia they used to give on HBO as well. I remember those shows growing up and um you see those shows and they're nostalgic, but they did serve a purpose. They did touch a demographic that at this point in the game, you definitely want to harness. Leveraging the the youth demographic to try and deliver unique and engaging content is definitely not a a bad idea. I mean, WWE is doing it with their more PG-centered programming. At the end of the day, you're going to reach more eyes and reach more wallets by going through the easiest conduit possible. And unfortunately, that's kids. Slick says HBO should use this to bring back brain games. You know what? That would that would definitely be cool. 
I think that, you know, premium programming from companies like Amazon, Netflix, and even HBO should not just be for the adult demographic because, as I said, another way to hook uh, more viewers is to hook the viewers who consume your content with zero reservations, and that is children. Children will always gravitate towards Sesame Street because it preaches messages of acceptance, tolerance, and, of course, education gift-wrapped in one easy-to-consume package. So definitely a smart play on the part of HBO. I'm shocked that Netflix or Amazon didn't make a play for that. We'll see how fruitful this relationship is for the network and for the Sesame Workshop. But um, like I said, you're going to start getting... 150, 200 episodes. I mean, HBO licensed 150 past episodes, plus they, they, they're taking over some other episodes and content from the Sesame Workshop. But the fact is that it's definitely something unique and different. How it pans out for both companies remains to be seen. Slick says, uh, HBO needs to go back to no R-rated movies before 8 p.m. since they have them on demand and play a lot of child-friendly, family-friendly stuff during the day. I, you know what it is? I, I, I think that's a bit extreme, but I do understand what you're saying. There is a place for that, but HBO does have HBO Family, which they, they can harness completely, and I mean, you get it as soon as you get HBO. You get all the different offshoots. So I know that HBO Family is definitely going to have all that Sesame Street content at the ready, uh, you know, you have HBO East Coast, West Coast, Signature, Family, and On Demand, of course. So there's definitely going to be outlets for each of them. I mean, I know where you're coming from, and I think, you know, it's it's a cool concept. But they have one HBO Family channel already that is automatically given to HBO subscribers. So I'm sure that that's where we're going to see the bulk of Sesame Street content as a whole. But who knows? I'm, uh, we'll see how this develops in the coming weeks. Um, new episodes of Sesame Street will be debuting on HBO as early as 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 early as late fall of this year. So definitely keep it locked here to MTR and RageWorks for any other developments in that space. Of course, we will share it with you guys. All right. With that said, we actually sprinted to the finish of this week's episode. Um, so let's get to it. I've just given you my take on entertainment and gaming. And of course, as always, if you want to give me your take, feel free to hit us up on social media. Look for My Take Radio on Twitter at My Take Radio or RageWorks at Rage underscore works. If Facebook is your forte, then by all means, you can find My Take Radio on Facebook and RageWorks as well, at least for now. Also, feel free to engage and interact with our listeners and the rest of our team in our Facebook group. The URL for that is is posted on the RageWorks fan page. You can go there, join the group, and interact with other readers and listeners and share your thoughts on a litany of topics, whether it's MMA, gaming, wrestling, pop culture, hell, even stuff that's going on in the media. We always try to talk about all that stuff and engage with our readers and our listeners. And I'm sure that Ben and Taylor, Jay and the Keith, and the rest of the MTR team will definitely want to interact with you guys. So by all means, Feel free to check us out there. You can also find RageWorks boards on Pinterest. You can follow me on Instagram, RageWorks underscore Rich. For those of you that are asking for a RageWorks Instagram page only, which I know a couple of you have mentioned, the only reason I haven't done it is because it is in, 
it is a pain in the ass to log out and log back in to two Instagram accounts at this time. But eventually I'm going to try and figure out a way to do that and try and share that content with you guys in a dedicated RageWorks Instagram page. Last but not least, with with regards to archived episodes of the show, you can find My Take Radio on iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio. You can also find episodes on RageWorks.net. Just punch in any of the shows you want, whether it's My Take Radio, Black is the New Black, The Buried Show, or any of our other content. It is all on RageWorks.net right in the podcast section. Last but not least, if you want the best MTR experience, feel free to pick up the official My Take Radio app, available for Android, iOS, and Windows devices. Of course, for iOS, you're heading to iTunes. For Android, you are heading to the Amazon Marketplace. And for Windows, you're heading to the Windows Store. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, mobile wallpapers, and other exclusive content that is available to app owners first before being released to the general public all right with that we are going to wrap up tonight's show thank you guys for your continued support and tuning in we will be back wednesday at 11 p.m eastern 8 p.m pacific for our mma and wrestling edition of my take radio all right guys thank you again for checking us out and your continued support i am out of here peace I'm rich, bitch! Everything, everything, that's all, folks!